And away we go, Hour 3 on a great day for talk radio. So much to discuss. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, Danny Longo just updating us on a story that we've all been transfixed by, but it's kind of slipped off the radar, and now we're back into it. That has to do with the shooter along the Danforth, Faisal Hussein, and how... uh, Several media outlets, including Global News, had petitioned the courts for access to uh, the warrants and uh, what the warrant said insofar as understanding how uh, the police might have decided that uh, there was more to be investigated about this guy. And uh, some of these details are rather harrowing insofar as the uh, fact that uh, he had been arrested for shoplifting but released. And uh, this was going back, uh, I guess two days before uh, the shooting uh, spree happened. And uh, he was also the subject of several police reports dating back as far uh, as 2010, when he was reported three times as an emotionally disturbed person, quote unquote. So I'm kind of wondering if this one slipped through the cracks and more could have been done to protect public safety. uh, Or is it just one of those situations where the law is the law and you release people, uh, you don't uh, take them into custody Well, let's put it to our legal expert in this regard. Uh, There's that story and another one that has to do with the release of someone uh, into uh, the community, or at least with his parents, and uh, there were some serious crimes for which he's been charged. On that uh, premise, let's get Joe Newberger in here. He's 640's legal expert with Newberger and Partners. Joe, it's always a pleasure. Welcome to the Oakley Show. Delighted to be on your show again. Well, you got to help me out here because uh, this is all just fresh information through the right. ITO uh, information to obtain. Now, if this guy uh, was arrested for shoplifting but released two days yeah. before the shooting rampage, and right. he was also uh, known to the police on three separate occasions, uh, he was branded emotionally disturbed. Right. I mean, is there anything that might, I mean, it's all hindsight and it's 2020 now, but, uh, yeah. that could have been done better as a matter of, uh, community safety. Look, the, the sad thing is the police would not have, you know, the ability to look into the future as to what could happen. And a shoplifting charge would not give them the ability to execute some sort of warrant to see what was in his home. So this is one of those ironic situations where you have something happening prior to a horrific, tragic incident, but it would not have made a difference. But I will say this, because there are prior arrests or um, indications that there were mental health issues, that's what that information suggests to me. We have to do a better job in Ontario of assisting people with emotional disturbances and mental health issues to try and identify risks, trying to assist them and prevent future harm. And that's something that constantly falls through the cracks. We see this time after time after time. And it's because we have a broken mental health system and a broken health system. That is a very prevalent issue. And we see a lot of murders in other cases occur where people who are exhibiting symptoms of schizophrenia, delusional disorder or other issues, and we are not able to assist them and capture the risk at the right time. And that's something we're really going to have to grapple with over the next few years to try and protect the public, in my opinion, anyway. Again, Joe Newberger's with us, 640 legal expert. You know, it also says here that uh, during a search of his apartment following the shootings, a police explosives dog detected materials in a drawer under a bed. Police found a white powder they suspected was cocaine 
and other items that a judge has prohibited media from disclosing. Why would the media be prohibited from disclosing that? Well, I think that the there's still ongoing investigation into why this happened. And, you know, you've seen in the, in the media now that the, uh, well, ISIS has tried to use this to their advantage for uh, public uh, reasons. And so I think there's an ongoing internal investigation to try and determine how they go about disseminating information to the public and, and, and what the truth is behind why this act occurred. So it might be premature to release this information until they have everything possible so the public can be informed in a truthful and honest manner about why this occurred. So I'm not so worried about that at the moment because there's a lot of compete. You know, we have a lot of misinformation in the public media. So it's good if police want to take their time to investigate and then the authorities give us honest reporting, which then the media can do uh, their job to uh, disseminate it to the public appropriately, in my opinion. All right, well, you know, uh, it says here as well, police are investigating whether anyone aside from Hussein was involved, a possible motive, how he obtained the gun, and whether anyone had a role in providing the weapon and bullets. So what you're saying is, until the investigation's complete, uh, this is not anything on a need-to-know basis. Do you think we'll ever know? I think we will, and that's exactly my point. You're really on the money on this one, because they still need to do a lot more work to see if this was him acting alone. How did he obtain the uh, weaponry? Never mind that. How did he obtain the training, which he did have, obviously, to execute this? So there needs to be more investigation. We need, as a public, to know eventually why and how this occurred. And I think it's extremely important for the police to be able to do their job uh, unfettered from public opinion at the moment so that they can source out every possible avenue so that at the end of the day we will have an answer and i think i think you know they really do want to let us know and the government has to let us know because public safety is an issue here and you know this was you know a tragedy which is quite enormous because in canada we haven't experienced this type of thing very often and we've got terrorist organizations trying to claim responsibility for it we have to have a responsibility to report what's accurate to the public so that they know and we don't create a moral panic about something that's just some sort of propaganda by some other organization. So I think it's very important that we remain focused on the investigation, let the authorities do what they need to do, and if it takes a couple of months, so be it. But we will get the answers, I believe in that. All right, well, uh, here's something that sounds somewhat speculative, but uh, it's harrowing nonetheless. According to the documents obtained through this uh, information to obtain application that the media sought and got, and uh, that's why we're talking about it here right now, given the amount of ammunition on hand, it's reasonable to believe that this occurrence was planned and that items of planning, both physical and digital, on electronic devices will be located within his residence. Yep. Well, okay, uh, that's yeah. just uh, giving us pause for uh, more concern or consideration. And, I mean, they do spell out as well how he, uh, you know, had comported himself throughout the day. Uh, he got home from work at 2.30. His twin brother spoke to him about getting his life together, getting married and getting direction. Instead of listening, Hussein called himself, quote, mentally retarded, end quote, and went out onto the balcony of the family apartment to smoke a cigarette. That's what his brother told the cops. He left the house that evening to go for a walk around 8.30. Right. Never to return. Right. Uh, 
Well, uh, I just wanted to pick up on another case because I, I'm not sure that can we I, can... Can I just say one other thing? Sure. These are very important points that you're raising. That's why the police and our authorities need to do a very careful investigation. Ammunition, training to execute this. There's no doubt this was planned. So we need to dig down as to why and how this happened. And, and it's more than just simply whether he's emotionally disturbed, what other influences existed, and whether there's any truth to the fact that external sources may have been of some assistance or impetus for this. Well, then how come everybody leapt onto the early narrative mental illness? Well, because, you know, frankly, uh, that was, I, I, I want to be gentle about this, but that's what the family put out there. And there may have been mental illness. And frankly, people who are of emotionally disturbed backgrounds or who have certain issues may be more susceptible to be um, indoctrinated into other views. So we need to take a broad perspective on this. But right now, we should not pass judgment and have an objective investigation. The points you raise are very good. And the media needs to keep pounding away at this. It should not just be dropped. But the police and the authorities need to investigate thoroughly to determine what was at the nub of this. And let's look at, was this an individual who is compromised due to mental health issues? Was this a person who was radicalized by social media? Did they acquire ammunition and other sources which they should not have? How did they get their training? How do we prevent this in the future? How are we able to try and detect people who may be susceptible to this? Lots of questions. All goes to public safety. So this needs to play out in a careful, calculated manner. And then eventually, I really do believe we'll get some answers to this. And I know people like you and all the media will keep pounding away to try and get those answers. So everybody who's listening to this show will get the right answers. Well, it's good that uh, the media did go after this ITO. And uh, it sort of uh, revives or rekindles uh, the interest or gives new currency to the story going forward. I wanted to ask you about another one, though. And uh, it has to do with a story out of Barrie and uh, a young man, Jalen Pitt of Brampton, turning 20 this week. Going home with his parents, uh, he was in court. He was released on bail after police accused him of carrying a loaded handgun and drugs at Wasaga Beach. And uh, right. it says here, and I'm reading from the Sun's uh, description, court heard that Pitt was under OPP surveillance for several hours at Wasaga Beach September 12th after police received information that members of the Acorn Place Crips gang would be there. They watched Pitt associating with other known gang members while carrying a satchel. Members of the Peel Regional Police Force's Guns and Gangs Unit moved in and found a loaded handgun, 42 grams of cocaine and crack cocaine, and $1,060 in cash and digital scales inside a satchel. He was carrying a loaded gun with a bullet in the chamber. This was extremely dangerous, said the prosecutor. It's one of the most powerful handguns out there. Yet he was sent home with his mother, uh, who was crying, and... uh, she testified she doesn't know her son's friends and never heard of the Acorn Crips gang. But look, in a nutshell, uh, it's all about community safety again, as we just spoke of. And uh, here you've got the Crown Attorney arguing against his release, saying the public will be outraged. I think they should be. How about you? Well, you know, I am a Crown defense lawyer, so I do believe in bail and having strict terms with proper supervision to ensure that somebody does not commit further offenses but allows them to be out in the public until the case is tried on its merits and somebody is found guilty or not guilty, according to the standards we have in this country. That being said, the evidence that I have read thus far seems to suggest to me that there is an overwhelming case against this individual. Now, let me just explain this. 
on a bail hearing, there are a number of grounds to detain somebody. One of them is called the tertiary ground. The strength of the case for the prosecution seems pretty strong. So I would not be surprised if the Crown in this case would appeal his release. And they can do that by way of a bail review. So if they are so outraged at his release, and let me say this, we only have what information is released to us. We don't know more. So we need to be cautious about that. If there really is an extremely strong case against this individual, and it seems that the release by the Justice of the Peace in this case was arbitrary without proper merit, then the Crown can appeal it by way of a bail review and put him back in custody. All right. It was $7,500 for those who might be wondering. Uh, that was the bail. And he must remain under house arrest uh, unless he's with his parents. His next right. date of court, October 16th. We'll watch this one with interest. Uh, I'd hate to think that this would be one of those that you read about later uh, doing something else while out on bail. Too many people have uh, obviously... Uh, yeah, I hear you. I, I know. And you know. in Toronto, we're seeing now... This year, you know, an unprecedented amount of murders, and I get it. Totally get it. Joe, before I let you go, uh, a positive note, uh, something uplifting and uh, very optimistic is your Feed the Hungry program you're involved in. Oh, tell, God bless you. Tell, you, tell <laughs> us about you. it. Well, you know, the Toronto Lawyers Association has supported the uh, Feed the Hungry program in Toronto, which is down at the uh, Osgood Hall Court of Appeal area. It feeds a tremendous amount of individuals in the city of Toronto. 90 cents of every dollar donated goes directly to feeding the hungry. And uh, there are a number of fundraisers put on by many groups in Toronto, including lawyers. It's a wonderful program. Myself and Ian Hall and others are sponsoring every year something I design called the uh, Billiards with the Bar. And it's coming up on October 18th, and we're trying desperately to get people to come out. It's fun. You get to play billiards. You get to watch videos. There's a silent auction. And raise money to feed the hungry. And 90 cents of every dollar goes directly to feeding hungry people. And what what motivated me over a decade ago when I got involved with this was seeing the lineup outside of Osgood Hall of men, women, and families who desperately needed food and this is a program that's run 365. It's all year long. It's fantastic. And we've got to do what we can to feed the hungry. All right. October the 18th. You're doing the Lord's work here. And so uh, how do people find out more about it if they wanted to follow up? Well, they can go to the uh, Law Society website. There's something there. Or they can email me at uh, joseph at nrlawyers.com. And I will give all the information. And I can't thank you and and. Uh, global uh, news and uh, 6:40 a.m. to uh, promote this. It's so important and so something that's close to my heart. I really want to try and do everything I can for the people who are so vulnerable in this city. So thank you so much for mentioning that, Joseph. Our pleasure, uh, and I appreciate your joining us this afternoon, clarifying a lot of points of law as always. Thank you. Take good, care. Have good. a great show. And you. Thank you, uh, Joe Newberger, 6:40 legal expert with Newberger and Partners.